Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. And welcome back to another episode of Hot Takes with James. We took a week off. I put up some content. This is Chris, by the way. I put up some content on the podcast site for everyone to enjoy. I kind of redid a little something something with our past live streams, uploaded onto the podcast. That way you have a consistent wave of stuff going out. James is here. I mean, obviously. James, let them know what the news for the week is, what's going on, and then just dive straight in. Yeah, I, I, I went to California to see a friend, right? Real quick last week, like a mini vacation. So that, that's where I went. Little poof, disappeared to Cali, come back, you know? And we went to a couple Angels games. And, you know, they, they, got, they got beat up. They made a bunch of errors the first game. And they lost late on a three-run homer the next game. And, um, you know, it was fun, though. I'd never been to the stadium. It's a great stadium if you get the chance to check it out. Um, you know, people in L.A., they might be a little bit used to it, but it, it's like a Sunday ballpark. It's very cozy. You know, if you've ever been to, you know, different types of stadiums, you know what I mean by a Sunday ballpark. It's not like that modern stuff where it's like always in your face with advertisements and lights and da 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 da, da. No, it feels like you're at a baseball game, baseball game. So, um Lo and behold, at my first Angels game, I get a ball. Um, it wasn't hit. Um, it wasn't even tossed by a player. It was tossed by the players were, were using it to warm up within the outfield, right? And it got tossed from, I think, Kiermaier to Arizona. And Arizona tossed it to the catcher from the bullpen, bullpen catcher. And he saw me and my friend. Uh, we weren't really arguing, but we were discussing trading food. I had a pizza and he had some nachos. And I guess it was like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm here playing ball. We're here playing ball. Don't trade food. Um, <laughs> so they just tossed the ball up at us, right? And it hits off, um, it's off my friend's hand and it starts going down the next few aisles. So I, I skip over to the aisles, grab it. Yeah, I got the ball. There were no kids going after the ball, so I didn't feel like a responsibility to give it to anyone. So I got to keep the ball, and lo and behold, it ended up being Albert Pujols' last major league game. So, what? yeah, it was completely accidental, too. And I actually, it's interesting, because I, I remember being like, this might be the last time I see Pujols, so I'm going to watch him, and I'm going to remember this swing. So I, I have it, like, pictured in my memory a swing from Pujols, from his last major league game. And I didn't even know it was going to be his last major league game. And I got a ball, and, I mean, it was just killer. It was killer, although they lost, so there was that. But it was still like a killer trip, man. Like, uh, I really enjoyed myself. Um, You ever get the chance to go out to L.A., go out to Anaheim, definitely check an Angels game, you know, assuming it's the summer. Um, But, yeah, so – very eventful week for me on a personal level. Um, I don't think I talked about it here, but we signed with eventful, but you got a, a baseball from the whole thing. Come yeah. on. <laughs> um, but like, I, I do want to mention this cause I, I think we, we begin most like uh, uh podcasts where I do mention 
you know, oh, well, Puig still hasn't signed. Well, Puig finally did sign with a team in the Mexican League. So that happened. Um, also, uh, another thing, I, like, I, look, anytime I make a mistake here, I got to correct myself. And, um, dude, I feel like I made the biggest mistake the other day because I, I do remember saying and saying this to a lot of people, being blown away that Otani's throwing 102 miles an hour because he's a lefty, right? Found out recently that Otani bats from the left side, but he pitches from the right side. Don't know why in my mind I thought he was lefty-lefty. Most people who are lefty are lefty, so that's probably why. Plus, he's got that typical, like, beautiful lefty, sw- lefty swing. Like, just it's, it's, it's fantastic. So I had it in my mind that he was pitching from the left side. It's still amazing to throw 102 miles an hour, like, from anyone particularly a starter, um, but it's not quite, quite, quite as mind-bending as throwing that fast as a starter from the left side. Kind of puts what uh, Garrett Crochet can do uh, into, you know, scale, if you will, because uh, Crochet's thrown 102, and he's a lefty, but right now he's a reliever. He should be a reliever. He should stay a reliever. Chapman, you know, he's, he's a lefty. He throws well over 100. He should stay a reliever. You know, at this point, that's not even a debate. But the point is, is that um, if you have guys who throw that hard, their motion has to be so free and easy, or at least as free and easy as it can be, because um, they're going to get hurt. Case in point, Dustin May getting Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, I think I said this here before. I know I said it many places before, but I've never thought that the Dodgers have really had as much pitching as the rest of the league. Uh, You know, MLB ranked the Dodgers, um, I believe, the number one rotation in baseball. And I was always really kind of second guessing things because, like, I I understand that that's their opinion. But when you have David Price as, you know, as someone on your your rotation, you got Gonsolin, who should be a reliever and will be a reliever. You got Julio Urias, who quite literally, Urias is a, uh, Urias has pitched 55 innings last year. Like that's no, no playing time whatsoever. How is he supposed to pitch 150 innings this year? He pitched 79 innings the year before. Um, so yeah, he's a great arm, but what, what's that going to do for you? You know, um, Kershaw is fantastic, right? Uh, but Kershaw usually goes about 165 innings, something along those lines, 175 innings. And, you know, by the time the playoffs come around, um, well, th- this, is, this is my whole thing with Kershaw. There are three factors why he gets hit hard in the playoffs. One, he's tired. He's not an innings eater. It's not who he is. Two, when you're tired, it affects different types of pitchers different ways. Him – he uses his fastball 10 miles an hour off his breaking ball, 10 miles an hour off his changeup. And he uses that to maintain different differentials to keep batters off balance. But later on in the season, he can't pitch those pitches as sharp. And particularly when he's 100 pitches in, 85 pitches in to the start, and he's not as sharp, being a pitcher who just does things off of um, – you know, different uh, uh, speed variations and keeping batters off balance because of shape of breaking ball. 
um, and pitch tunnel as well, because his pitches stay along the same tunnel for quite some time. Uh, at later on in the game, it can be easier to pick up pitches earlier. And then when you add on to those two factors, the factor of him being tired, the factor of how he does his pitch mix, you add on to the fact that he's a lefty in a league of pull righties, the league of righties who crush lefties. It's the worst combination possible for him at that point in the season. David Price, I love watching him because he's never played for my team. And anytime I'm watching him, I'm usually watching my team against him because like it's fi- it's always going to be five runnings five runs before the third inning. That's who he is. If you put a good offensive team against him, um, or at least you know a good offensive team full of righties, he doesn't do well against that. Um, the Yankees have always had his number, and I just I can't see him as a big game guy in any way as a starter. You make him a reliever, you know, uh, velocity goes up. You know, he can really just focus in for one inning at a time. I think David Price would be an incredible pitcher. Not as a starter anymore. Not at this point in his career. He's another lefty, you know. So it's just with a, a lineup full of righties going against him, at, at, they torch him. Uh, now Dustin May's got Tommy John surgery because, of course, he does. He throws only a fastball. He throws it ridiculously hard with a lot of spin. And his arms are literally thinner than my arms. Like, I, they're, they're literally wires. Like, if you're throwing max velocity and you don't have, like, the full, you know, athletic delivery because everything's just, you know, smooth and coming together, and you're just chucking it in there. And you're rail thin, so you don't even have the muscles to support your ligaments. You're going to get Tommy John surgery. It was inevitable, you know? So... Now uh, they're at this point where they have Walker Bueller, who's no doubt Nace. I'm not debating that. You know, we're not we're not talking out of the world here. Um, and they have Trevor Bauer, okay, who I think I've talked about a few times here about specifically how I could majorly help him take that next step, but also how he goes about pitching. He pitches to scouting reports. So if batters have weaknesses to certain balls or certain types of pitches in certain counts he'll pitch to that right but what happens if a batter changes their approach based on how they're being pitched or a batter changes their approach based on the situation that's not something that he specializes with so what you'll see with Bauer is you'll see he'll have a lot of games against teams that have you know guys who you can get them out if you pitch expertly to their scouting report because they're average to like slightly below slightly above hitters most teams are full of those types of hitters. You know, you don't see, you know, true, true middle of the order hitters one through nine in a lineup. You just don't really see that. Right. So he's able to have a lot of starts where he keeps his ERA low. And he's also able to go through his starts striking out people because he's pitching to scouting reports. And, you know, he doesn't really walk a lot of people because he's throwing strikes. He's pitching to their, their places. Right. But he always, I don't want to say every single start, but I'll say when it goes bad for him, when things go bad, it's always a situation where it's a little bit later on in the game, fourth, fifth, sixth inning, and he allows a pitch that turns into a homer. And it's usually like with a runner on base and a big situation, 
and the batter changes their approach, maybe from being, you know, a little bit more patient to aggressive over more zone and the ball, you know, maybe the ball falls in or whatever, right? Because the batter's changing who they are to adapt to the situation, um, that's kind of his weakness. So if you see him, you know, always frustrated later on in the games and not understanding why he let in runs. And then later on, he analyzes it and he says, well, yeah, I should have known not to throw that ball to it. He talks about it on his blog. It's because, well, in that situation, that's how the batter adapted to him. And that's literally where I come from. Like I was never a pitcher. So uh, I always analyze hitters in, 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 in twofold, you know, two dimensional where you see what they can do over a full year. And then also what they can do on a game to game basis. What are their skills? Because it's what you can do sustainably over different levels of competition over a full year is different than what your skills are. And I think it, um, I think people don't weigh that properly. I think people are like, Oh, well, this guy gets on base more than this guy. This guy hits more home runs than this guy, but can that player who gets on base more and hit more home runs, can he hit harder to hit breaking balls for singles across, you know, the field, you know, can, can he do that? No, he'll, he swings through those because, you know, he's too late on them because he's a patient bat. I mean, he doesn't have that contact skill and to get singles, you know, he, he doesn't really do that well. So now he walks to, you know, replace that. You see what I'm trying to say? Like, and walks will only score a run with like the bases loaded. And you get a walk because a pitcher makes a mistake out of the zone. The best pitchers don't really do that that often. So you're really like balancing your chances of winning versus a plus pitcher on the edge of a knife. And that's kind of always been where I've been coming from about like why the money ball formula, it works, but you really have to tweak it. You have to apply, you know, platooning like the Rays do uh, to keep the lefty righty balance, or you have to, um, you know, be able to, be okay with less on base percentage from some guys if it's more from other guys so long as you know the guy with less on base percentage is used to balance out your lineup and add aggression um i I think that that is not a side of the game that a lot of the team a lot of teams look at in that way i think it's all results and i think that that's why like oakland still hasn't made a lot of the changes that they should have made a while ago they did add platooning. They saw that the Rays were doing it. It was a smart job by the Rays. So I'm not saying Oakland doesn't, you know, overachieve, you know, their raw results. They totally do. But if they added versatility of approach, not just patient guys, I think then it's it, – you don't want pitchers to fall into a rhythm. The beginning and the end of the day, you don't want them to be looking at a batter and be like, oh, well, the way to get that guy out, same way to get the next guy out, same way to get the next guy out. So I'm just going to pitch to my spots and listen to the catcher. You know how easy it is for a guy to just start hitting the spots over and over again then? You know, like, it's just, it's not going to work unless you have that diversity. The Royals showed that you could do it even with low levels of aggregate production. Most of their hitters didn't do anything during the regular season. The Red Sox showed that if you do it with guys who are elite talents and you diversify that you can basically just steamroll teams that, you know, are 280 home run teams like the Yankees. They made the Yankees look like only a good team that year in 2018. Um, 
So I think, you know, that's just something that teams need to start thinking about. Um, it's something that I talked to John about. Hopefully we can have John on a future show. That'd be really nice, but uh, we'll figure That'd be it really out. really nice, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, uh, mainly those were some of the things that I, I, I wanted to bring up that, um, you know, with Dustin May now getting hurt, the Dodgers, you know, lack of pitching, as I've said, is now becoming really apparent. And, you know, MLB saying that they had like, the best pitching staff in baseball. It's now looking particularly ridiculous. And it's not even that they, they don't have the talent. They have it. It's just not stretched out, and a lot of it's not healthy. So just give it time. Like, come on. Like, get better at figuring out when guys are going to emerge. It's, it's not as hard as, as people pretend it is. There is a science to it. So anyway, um, now we have a really special episode today. It's kind of like a two-parter, Chris. Um, That's good. You know I love two-parters. Yeah, it might even be like a three-parter. So uh, me and baseball guy Sean, who is uh, another YouTuber, um, he's a good friend of mine. He's taken down his channel, putting it back up. But we do great content together. Uh, Hopefully, he'll he'll have the content back up. But we did top 10 lists before. Well, top 10 with five honorable mentions at every position before the season started and uh those will be up at some point online so check those out when you can they may be i don't know when he's gonna put them up man like i I hope he puts them up soon because it's great content but um i figured here just to make sure that it's spoken for just to make sure we do have it recorded just to make sure that like people have heard it before it gets too far into the year um, I thought that we would go over particularly my top tens, you know, and really it's, it's the, the, the top players at each position out of the top 200 players in baseball. So it's both my top 200 list and it's also the top players at each position. Now, mind you, there have been changes since the season started and players have emerged and players have joined the list. Some players, it wasn't even that. I didn't think that they were good. And that was the reason why I didn't put them on the list before the year. It was just, I didn't think that they were going to get called up case in point jazz Chisholm of the, you know, Miami Marlins. I've loved that guy. I didn't think he was going to get called up this early. I thought he'd probably be up in August, uh, especially with, you know, Miguel Rojas and Isan Diaz and the Marlins kind of wanting to delay service time. I, at least I thought they'd, they'd want to do that. Uh, Cause their their prime years are a few years down the line uh but they called him up and because he's going to get a full season of playing time he's absolutely a top 15 shortstop so um actually without further ado i should probably just launch into shortstops uh talk about the guys who did appear on the list before the year and then i'm going to talk about the guys who have jumped onto the list since the year started so the guys that were consensus Definite going to be on the list. Corey Seager, Fernando Tatis, Trevor Story, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Javi Baez, Tim Anderson, uh, Andrelton Simmons, Didi Gregorius, Glaber Torres, uh, Lindor. They're, they're all still on the list. And, and um, you know, honorable mention guys like Jose Iglesias, he's still on the list. Orlando Arcia, despite the trade, I still believe in that ability, even if he's not playing every day. 
It just, it kind of stinks that he's not able to. Uh, he's on the list. Uh, Swanson. Swanson's on the list. Um, I have been thinking about including Wander Franco because I don't know if they're going to jazz Chisholm him. Since they brought up Chisholm so quickly, Wander Franco could fairly easily go from having a good month in AAA straight to the big leagues. So he's a guy who didn't quite make the list, but it wasn't for lack of ability. It was because I didn't think that he was going to be in the show. I just didn't think it was going to happen. Um, Brandon Crawford, I believe he was at the very end of the honorable mentions because I, you, know, you don't really see a lefty shortstop. You don't see that very much. Uh, Corey Seager is a lefty shortstop as far as a good one. Didi is a lefty shortstop as far as a good one. Uh, I believe Chisholm is Chisholm. I believe Chisholm is a switch hitter um, and Lindor is a switch hitter, but switch hitters mainly bat from the left side. Wander Franco is also the rare uh, shortstop switch hitter. Um, but Brandon Crawford, he's one of the few ones that's still around in the big leagues that have been there, done that. And he changed his approach last year and brought back some of the power that he had been missing. Now this year, in order to sustain that power, He's had to walk more. He's had to become more of a patient hitter. And, you know, if you're becoming more patient and you have a pull profile, you're going to work to more pitches that you can hit properly. Um, I don't think he's obviously as good of a hitter as he was in his prime years, but he actually might hit for more power and get on base more um, if he can hold this level of production all season. But at his age, that's kind of the worry. He's made himself into a pull hitter. So if the level of production you know, falls because he's not able to sustain strength, um, he could just be a whole bunch of auto outs pulled right into the shift. So that's kind of just the downside there. But he, you know, as a lefty shortstop who at minimum you could, you know, platoon him and he'd still get everyday playing time. Uh, he does have a spot. Uh, on a championship team, should you be able to utilize him properly? That means use him at the bottom of the lineup. That means platoon him. And that means rest him to keep his performance at this level. Um, because he's, this is, this is basically it. This is, you know, he's at the end. I'd love for him to be able to sustain this a bit because I, I love Brandon Crawford as a player. I think he's incredibly athletic. Um, and fun to watch defensively. I love his swing, um, even if it hits a few many, few too many balls, uh, pull into the shift. But Crawford is—he's uh, a guy I think that is underrated throughout the league, especially when you add on the fact that San Francisco is a power suppressing ballpark. Get him out of Col uh, San Francisco. You put him in a place like Colorado or New York, or or the Rangers ballpark. Or, you know, a, a hitter's ballpark give him lineup protection. You could be looking at, you know, a, a, a one-year career revival, but this is it. This is, there's not going to be another transformation to sustain performance if he declines a tiny bit even. Um, but he's also worth mentioning as a guy you could platoon to be a plus hitter and is a good defender, um, good enough to be on a championship team that he was worth putting on the honorable mentions. Now, we did talk about a few guys that, you know, were su surprisingly not on the list. Um, me and Sean, we, we, we talked about this one long and hard. 
We didn't put Bo Bichette on the list for one big reason. He'd be entering his sophomore slump this year, technically. Okay? And we think that a guy who he doesn't really have as much physicality as most big, league, big leaguers need to have, that he would need a year of being able to put on better muscle before he was able to consistently perform at the levels that he was able to perform at, especially when you look at the difference between his walk rate and strike and strikeout rate, it's like 3% and 25%, which is terrible. Uh, and his overall level of performance, basically after like the first, I'm going to say 20 games of the season last year, but to Bo Bichette's credit, he's managed to become even more aggressive this year and get it to continue to work for him, get this profile to continue to work for him uh, in, in 2021. That being said, at the beginning of last year, he was also able to get that profile to work for him. So I do worry, just like last year, whether the performance is going to fall off as the year goes on. And when you're looking at a guy who hasn't put on a lot of physical muscle, maybe he tires. That I mean, it, he was moved very quickly through the minors, and he is very young. Um, it's a very similar concern to the concern that I had about Dansby Swanson. Um, I still kind of have a very similar concern about Swanson, but it's less about him being too aggressive and more about him being too patient as the season goes on. Um, I worry that as time goes on, he'll become a basically a three true outcome hitter, which is pulled balls for homers, strikeouts, walks. Um, but also to Swanson's credit, whether you believe in the juice ball or not, and I think it's ridiculous to not believe in it, he has improved for like five years running. And he was a Vanderbilt product. And he was a top prospect. He was taken at the top of the draft. So hence why I have Swanson on the list and why I was kind of wanting to keep Bo Bichette off the list for about one season while he adapts and, and you know, to, to playing another full year where the league, but, but, but a full, full year where the league knows him this time, not a 60 game season where the league kind of knows him a full 162 game season where the league does know him. So there was a lot of hesitancy and there still is, but to his credit, just like last year, Bo has started off hot. So for now, because he was basically a borderline guy, Entering the year, he's back on the list. Um, and he's one of the only guys who I consider to be, so far, a miss. I don't consider guys who I was not expecting to call up a miss. I expect guys who I was expecting to not do as well and who are doing well a miss. Um, so that brings me to my second miss at shortstop and really the only other miss at that position, which is Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, the converted shortstop for the Texas Rangers. He moved from catcher to third, and then he became one of the best defensive third basemen in all of baseball. Great contact hitter. Uh, not a lot of power at all. Now he got moved from third to short to replace Elvis Andres. And, you know, as a contact hitter with the juice ball going away, I was not expecting Kiner Falefa to hit for any authority at all. But that being said, this is a guy who improved defensively and like, like learned a new position like this. And this is also a guy who um, like he, he, he rose out of obscurity 
Like he was not even considered a top prospect. He was just considered a guy. And now he's an everyday guy. And now he's hitting and he may only be hitting righties, but righties are the majority of, of the guys out there. Um, I don't know whether he's going to be able to keep this hitting up because he's absolutely abysmal versus lefties. And maybe it just kind of rounds out, you know, he gets worse versus righties, better versus lefties. But if he's able to sustain this type of performance, even in a rounding out kind of way, he absolutely deserves to be on the top shortstop list. Mind you, shortstop's one of the best positions out there. It's one of the most valuable positions out there. So if you can play defense and you can hit, if you can do both, you are going to make the top 200. Like, I'll give you an, an idea. There are 12 right fielders on the top 200. There are 19 shortstops. Value. Value. Just plain and simple value. If you can cover that position defensively and hit, you are contributing so much value. Right field, they usually hide right fielders. Get a good left field, you get a good center fielder. Hide a guy with a good throwing arm and right. So that's shortstop. True, two true misses. And if we're looking at you know all guys who just didn't appear on the list, then you add the two other prospects on. One who's been in the big leagues, who's hurt right now, but he'll be back really soon too. I believe he's starting uh, his rehab assignment in AAA like this week. That's Chisholm, Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins. And then, you know, the other Florida team, the Rays, Wander Franco. So, um, yeah, uh, I I don't know if I would call those misses because I just wasn't expecting either of them to really get a lot of big league playing time. And now with the Franco pick, I'm trying to cover for it. And with the Chisholm pick, it's more of like, come on, guys. Like, no one was expecting him up this big or this early uh, or, and him to be this, this big this early either. Um, and like, I was expecting him to be in AAA. Uh, I know he has strikeout issues. I was not expecting him to be big league ready. Like, and I know, and I've known he's good. I watched him in the Arizona Fall League. So it's not even like, I, you know, this was a guy who I didn't know was good. No, dude, like, this was one of my favorite guys to watch I, who I like in my entire, in all the games that I've ever seen in the AFL, he's one of my favorite guys that I've watched. One of the most exciting guys that I've watched, but I thought that because of the swing and miss, he was going to take a little bit. He's electric, no doubt, but a lot of guys are electric who need to go through adjustments. So I was not expecting him to be at the big leagues. So, all right, let's move on to, what should we do? Should we do first base next or catcher? Uh, how about catcher? Yeah, you know what? I like that. I like that. So catcher, just like shortstop, because of how valuable you know catchers are, is the same number of players on the list. It's just as deep. Um, and before the season, these are the guys who were easily on the list. Um, we got Romuto, Sal Perez, Wilson Contreras, uh, Christian Vasquez, Gary Sanchez, Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, Will Smith of the Dodgers, uh, Tyler Stevenson, Jan Gomes. Um, Ostadio was on the honorable mentions. Um, Grandall. Um, 
And I forget whether we had Joey Bard on the honorable mentions. I don't think we did because we had Posey as like, you know, a, a big factor this year, uh, which he's been, you know, stepped right up. Um, never bet against a great. That's one thing that I learned with Jeter. You, you just you don't bet, bet against a great. If they have one down year, don't bet against them. Just don't do it. Um, because, you know, especially a guy like Posey, uh, He's, he's, he doesn't need to work the count to be a good hitter. He's not that type of hitter. He just needs to put a good swing on a ball. So if that's all he needs to do as an aggressive hitter, who's got great contact ability, who hits everything, squares everything up, then he just needed to get in phys- good physical conditioning for it. So you know, me, and, me and Sean, we, we, we picked him before a game was played. So uh, I, I really like how good he's doing. But – I'd also like to mention that of all the positions, catcher is one of the positions where it had the most guys come completely out of the blue. So Jacob Stallings, for instance, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, walking a lot. He's hitting for just enough power. I believe like if he has a, a decent week for even doubles, that he'll just squeak over 400 slugging. Um, but he's just there for slugging. He's just barely where you'd need to be to be like, you know, a factor, you know, um, but he walks a lot. The batting average is decent. His defense is plus. And I'm also convinced that if you put this guy in a better lineup and he got better pitches to hit, probably hit for higher levels of power. So Stallings, I think is officially starting to become a little bit underrated. You look at his numbers. He's been getting better a little bit for the last few years. Um, uh, William Contreras. I didn't think that William Contreras was going to be up so early. Um, and I didn't think he was going to get as much playing time as he's starting to get. He looks like a monster. He looks like he took all the time over the, uh, you know, the, 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 the 60 game season, the shortened season during all the extended off season. He looks like he took all of this time to just continually work with his brother, Wilson. And he just looks like he looks dangerous. Like William Contreras looks just downright dangerous at catcher. So keep an eye on him. Um, Carson Kelly has rebounded from his sophomore slump. Um, it does make sense. Um, it, you know, both, both sides of it make sense. A, him rebounding from it makes sense. And also me missing him being this good makes sense. Because on one side, I view him as mainly a platoon catcher, a.k.a. a right-handed catcher who absolutely crushes lefties. And I do see the good defense, there's no doubt, but that's kind of how I view him. But the part where I didn't give him really enough credit was he's a guy who's been in AAA for a few years. He's a guy who's coming out of a sophomore slump. He's a guy who's, you know, he's learning the league. He's a very intelligent catcher, Okay. And while he can absolutely crush lefties, he's done enough against righties and he knows enough righties and he's at his physical peak where if he gets a mistake against righties or if righties make mistakes out of the zone, he'll walk or hit a homer. He doesn't really hit for consistent, you know, anything against, you know, righties, but because he can walk, because he can homer, because he can capitalize on those types of things. He hits lefties enough that when you add it together and you add his defense to the picture at catcher, 
he does sneak onto the list. So I was not counting him. Completely missed him. I'm also kind of okay missing him, if that makes sense. Because he's the defense is there, but the defense is there for most catchers on the list. The, the offense is there, but it's it's kind of you know cheaply there. It's there against lefties a lot, and against righties, it's only if he, if he gets a mistake inside or outside the zone. If he doesn't get a mistake, if he's getting it you know pitched hard by a righty, he's going to get out. But you know, yeah, he's he's technically definitely a top catcher top uh top 20 catcher in the sport there's no there's no doubt about that um so those those are some guys you know oh and, and last two also uh omar narvaez of the brewers him bringing his offense all the way back after being so abysmal um that was a shock to me uh again there's a possibility that it does drop off as the year goes on but because he has produced to those offensive levels in the past uh, I had to put him down. And also he's the rare lefty catcher. So you could be able to platoon him and put a good defender behind him, you know, get him out of the game for the bad defense. If he, if he produces earlier in the game and then all of a sudden, you know, you put in the other catcher, um, but you do it when they bring in a lefty to get him out, you put in the righty catcher. So then you have the platoon advantage. So uh, Narvaez, despite the fact that he doesn't have the greatest defense because of his handedness, you can find ways of compensating. Um, and then the last guy is Francisco Mejia of the Tampa Bay Rays. Baseball savant doesn't really like his numbers, but baseball savant's analytics are usually thrown off by two things. Batters who, whose launch angle is, is you know, really good, but don't hit the ball very hard. Um, and then when you add to that factor, batters who hit the ball very often. And he's a guy who hits the ball very often. He's a guy who hits the ball at, at, at the right angles to hit the ball at, but he doesn't hit the ball particularly hard. So it, it's a situation where StatCast does not like him. And in real life, he's actually gotten better for like four years running. And Mejia was a top hitting ca- catching prospect in the minors. And it all looks legitimate. And maybe he's not 30% above league average like he's performing at now. I get that. But could he be 15% above league average? Absolutely. Um, and given that, you know, he's, he mainly is batting lefty, like, like, Mar- like, like Omar Narvaez, you can save yourself from his average-ish defense uh, by taking him out of the game later when they bring in a lefty to get him out. Although I do think Mickey is a switch hitter. Um, I got to recheck that, but I, I believe that's, that's correct. Um, and then the last two guys that are, you know, once again, like minor leaguers that I just want to make sure that I'm not leaving out as the rest of the year goes. Dalton Varsho of the Arizona Diamondbacks, he does have a chance of spelling time between the outfield and catcher with Carson Kelly because Stephen Vogt is not doing well um, because he's, he, he, he can bat lefty. Varsho can bat lefty and Car- uh, Carson Kelly's a righty. So that could work really well for them in the right situation later in the year, especially if Carson Kelly's getting tired. Um, but I watch Varsho in the AFL, and I think he's a very underrated hitter. Uh, I think at catcher, uh, you don't usually see the type of player he is. But as long as you move him around, I don't have a problem with him playing other positions. Like, don't put him permanently in the outfield. Don't put him permanently at first. Don't put him permanently at second base. But if you can put Varsho 
as you know those positions and backup catcher or in some sort of platoon situation at catcher you can really get a lot of value out of him and while i'm not exactly sure a hundred percent if he's ready ready at like a hundred percent big league ready right now if he's not he's right there he's right on the edge um because he was like you know higher higher levels ready and performing the last time we had a minor league season and then there was no minor league season last year so he's definitely ready for the higher levels and probably ready for the big leagues um it might just be the safe thing to do though to leave him in triple a for like a month similar things for uh joey bart uh you know posey's teammate that's the reason why we left him off we didn't think that he was going to be at the big leagues getting playing time and we didn't think the giants would be doing good the Giants are doing great right now. Um, I just don't know if they're going to believe in it and, and trust it and run with it. Because if they do, all of a sudden, you know, you can move Joey, uh, Joey Bart to maybe first base or, or give Posey some time at first base with the idea of moving Belt to left field where he has experience. Um, because, you know, the outfield is the weakest spot if you're looking at the Giants right now. They have a good platoon at second base. They have a good platoon at shortstop. They're getting a lot of production from catcher, getting a lot of production from third. And they're getting production from first, but they can move that to left field. And if you bring up Joey Bart, that's enough lineup protection from him. And, you know, then you got another bat in there. But I I don't know exactly when they're going to go about bringing up Joey Bart, but they brought him up before. So I think the team thinks that he may be, you know, tools-wise and approach-wise big league ready, but he may not mentally and from a mature standpoint be big league ready enough to stick to those things without getting emotionally overwhelmed. So you may have to, you know, let him, you know, establish confidence that he can perform in AAA for a bit before you then make that next leap, especially uh, if you have a situation where the rest of the team is really performing, you give him a little bit of time in AAA to get on a hot streak. You bring him up where, you know, they're already trying to pitch to everybody else. He's just going to be able to continue that hot streak. And it's not just going to be a situation where he's not seeing pitches to hit. You know, he's going to, like, he's going to see pitches to hit. No, there's no doubt from having that kind of lineup protection. But I also view him almost as much of a threat as anyone else in that lineup. So I don't think that he's just going to, you know, get pitches. So I think it actually long-term also could help him. Because uh, you don't want it to just be a situation where, like, you know, because of trades, now everybody's just pitching you hard. So, um, but yeah, uh, so quick recap for catcher, Real Muto, Sal Perez, uh, Wilson Contreras, Vasquez, Sanchez, Buster Posey, Yaddy Molina, Will Smith, uh, Tyler Stevenson, Jan Gomes, Williams Astadio, and Grandal all were on the preseason list. Um Varsho and Bart were only not on the preseason list. Oh, and Contreras, all three of those guys were only not on the preseason list because I didn't think they were going to get called up. I just didn't think they were going to get playing time. So I don't really ding myself too much for those, but I legitimately missed on Omar Narvaez. I legitimately missed on Francisco Mejia. And I legitimately missed on Carson Kelly. So I'll, I'll take those hits with all the victories that I've so far been getting because so far the ratio is awesome in my favor and i'm fully enjoying myself going over this <laughs> it's a lot of guys that i ended up being right on um 
And no, there's no doubt that there are guys that I ended up being wrong on. I think we'll probably make a fourth parter for this at some point in time where I can just go over definitely the players that were massive misses for me. Um, I think that would actually make a fantastic show. So, Chris, if you want to write that down, yeah, that would be killer. I'm writing it down right now. Awesome, man. Uh, all right, so let's jump over to first base then. Since we've gotten the ones that aren't, you know, numbered first, second, third, uh, out of the way for the infield. Uh, first base, these were the players that 100% we hit on. Freddie Freeman, no doubt. Uh, Jose Abreu, he'll work his way around. He's starting to heat up. Vlad Guerrero Jr., big hit on that one. Luke Voigt's been hurt. He'll be fine. He's actually going to be coming back from the injured list, I think, at the end of the week, at the beginning of next week, something like that. Hosmer, who's kept up, you know, pretty steady production. Jared Walsh, who's been fantastic for the Angels. We called that one. Matt Olson, uh, Pete Alonso, Carlos Santana, uh, Brandon Belt, um, Paul Goldschmidt, and I believe we had Andahar as an honorable mention. I think he was on there as an honorable mention. Um, and honestly, I don't even think he's going to get much first base playing time. It's just more of the caliber of player he is. And I think if you get him a full season of playing time between like corner outfield, DH, and first base between those spots, maybe even like five games at third, I hate him as a third baseman. Um, I think he produces well enough to just be at the back end of the top 200 because uh, he is a hitter. He, he's a hitter. There's no way to, to dance around it. My only worry is with a shoulder surgery on his power shoulder and a wrist injury this year that he's lost his contact and power because that's where you get your contact and power from. You contact from your wrists and hands and you get your power from your shoulder. Or at least he got his power from his shoulder specifically. So it was a risk putting him on here, but I just love the ability to hit. I, I think that this is a guy who just knows how to do it. And um, I think if anyone can rebound enough to be an above average hitter while playing multiple positions and hitting basically anyone, I think it's someone with a hit tool like him and the ability to line balls up, square balls up like he does. Um, now the guys that I missed on, okay, uh, who, who did a lot better than I thought that they were going to do. So Jesus Aguilar, he improved in a very odd way. He's been improving in a very odd way. He's been improving in striking out less and walking more and not exactly hitting for lots of power, but for hitting for enough like in-play power with doubles power to actually overall be improving as a hitter. And he's been doing this now for like three years, almost four years. So it does look like a real effort to become a better hitter. But I think this level of focus on contact and patience, um, it's made it so he hasn't been able to pull balls as much. And honestly, if you put him in a lineup with more protection and you put him in a better ballpark, I'm actually really curious about what Jesus Aguilar could turn into, especially over the next couple of years. Because uh, he has the physicality to be like a 35 home run guy. And now he has the contact and, and like, you know, plate discipline. I, you know, to, to get it done, all he has to do is really increase his aggression and get better balls to hit and, you know, maybe play in a smaller ballpark. And uh, he could really take off. So 
Uh, Aguilar was a miss for me. I'll admit there. Um, Nate Lowe, I, I already thought that the big leagues had kind of adapted to him and he had fallen back off, you know, back to earth last year. But he's basically reclaimed um, a lot of who he was. And he did something similar to this in AAA. And, you know, when you add on the fact that he's, you know, he's got baseball lineage, he's got a younger brother who overall is considered to be a lot more talented than him. Um, no, no disrespect to Nate, but, you know, that's just the truth of it. They were considered to be different types of prospects too. You know, Nate Lowe is very much a power hitter, first baseman, and his brother Josh Lowe, center fielder, you know, base running, power, you know, all around type thing. Um, truth of the matter is if, that, if, Nate, if Nate Lowe can continue doing what he did this year so far, um, I think he'll be just as valuable as his brother. So I don't think his brother's going to be able to hit 40% above league average. And that's what Nate Lowe so far has been able to do. Of course, Nate Lowe once again falls into that, you know, bin of players that sooner or later, you know, whether it's the second year or the third year or, you know, after the approach change gets adapted to by the big leagues, you know, could even be up to the sixth year. Sometimes it takes that long for some of these guys. But typically guys who are polish over tools, they, they will fall back down to being about league average at some point in time. Like, okay, the league adapts to you. Now you have to change something. League adapts to you. Now you have to change something. But at some point in time, you're not going to have another trick up your sleeve because hitters can only develop so far. So um, I, I do think that Lowe's going to have a good year, though. I do think that he's one of the better hitters on his team. Uh, and I count it as a miss. I count, I count him as a, as a total miss. Um, and then lastly, the other guy that I count as a miss is Colin Moran. He started to kind of show it last year, but uh, I wrote it up to like short season. And um, the fact that he's a lefty, you know, his analytics are going to say that he's better than he was because, you know, lefties hit the ball into the shift and the analytics don't, exactly have a great way of factoring that in um so with a guy like moran i was kind of expecting more of the same but he's now playing to kind of the analytics and, and to, at least the analytics of last year um and now he looks like an actual like a plus plus hitter and i've always known he was an intelligent hitter and i've known he's done swing changes in the past um so after it being now multiple years even with the, the change in ball especially playing for a team that gives him no lineup protection whatsoever, Pittsburgh Pirates, you know. Um, I got to give him the credit. He's got to show up. So, you know, again, quick recap of first base. Freeman, Abreu, Guerrero, Voigt, Hosmer, Walsh, Olsen, Alonso, Carlos Santana, uh, Brandon Belt, and Paul Goldschmidt with possibly on Bahar, if my memory serves me right. Um, all were there before the season. Um, it's possible that Andahar was, that's why I want to, you know, disclaimer, you know, um, but the guys that I was wrong about were Jesus Aguilar, Nate Lowe, Colin Moran. And then the last guy that I may or may not be wrong about, and we will certainly see soon enough is, uh, from the cheaters, the cheating Astros got to do it. Chris 
Gotta Wait, bring it up. I was like, are we going to end today without talking about it? I, I feel like I go through this every single episode. I'm like, are we going to end without talking nope. about the Astros? Nope. 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 So, uh, no, Yuli Gurriel, he was with them with those cheating teams. Um, he's always been a very aggressive player. And, you know, the coaches said that Yuli was always a guy who, you know, you'd give very little information to and you just kind of let him do what he's got to do because he's that kind of hitter. And, you know, that's about as high compliments as you can give to a hitter. Um, so, you know, if you just let him swing at everything and then you let him know what pitches are coming, he's not really going to be able to show who he really is as a hitter. He's just going to be swinging all the time at pitches that he knows what they are. So now that he can't do that and he has to, you know, work harder for it, they're feeding him more information. And he's been able to become now, instead of an aggressive hitter, a patient hitter. And with that patience comes a higher degree of power. It's not necessarily out of play power, but it is enough power that when you add on the fact that he does have such great bat to ball ability, that he's not exactly striking out even when he's working deeper counts. Walk rate is through the roof. Strikeout rate is still low. The power is more impactful because you know, he's not just trying to hit balls that he knows what they're coming 500 feet. He's legitimately working counts to hit balls successfully in play. So his in-play power is actually, funny enough, higher um, because your in-play shows up on a more frequent level than your out-of-play. If you're just max efforting on out-of-play power, you know, you don't, a guy like him is only going to hit like 24 homers a year over full year playing time. So um, he may have found another level despite being a cheater so it, it kind of sucks but you know i've also talked about you know how i felt about yuli the cheater differently to how i feel about a lot of the others like bregman's just a jerk Correa's just like in your face a jerk altuve is just like a pipsqueak he's like you know you should pity me because i'm small and i cheated because i'm small um, you know, that's kind of how I feel. Cause that's kind of how he's acted. He's kind of been all like shy and like, Ooh, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't been loud about it the way that Correa and Bregman have, you know, um, Springer seems genuinely sorry. So I'm kind of divided on how I feel about him, but Yuli Gurriel, he was a superstar in Cuba. Like he was called the Derek Jeter of Cuba. Like what if it's like a situation where like he thought that all big league teams did this type of thing. You know what I mean? Like I would genuinely feel bad for him, but yeah. you know, right now we don't know that right now he's a cheater. So it is what it is. I, I'm not, I'm not enjoying that. He's doing well, even though his swing is really beautiful. It always has been. Um, and even he's put, even though he's putting up numbers that are like really really awesome but um yeah no he's, he's a cheater so it's just it, it, it's a shame it hurts um but maybe maybe this is unsustainable maybe just like last year most of the performances from the astros will only last a month first month maybe first month and a week really to be honest for most of them so we will see you know this if this approach holds up by june then we'll know um can we fit in second and third, you think? Or, you know, should we end it here? I mean, I think we've been going for a decent amount of time. 
so maybe it's safe to like end it and i mean this could be a series this could be the next big series i mean and we could knock out dh there's only eight of them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because dh is honestly for obvious reasons guys you know like what are they going to do they can only hit there's no value that they can contribute on defense because they don't play defense you know there's most dh you know i don't even say most of them like basically all dhs can't run the bases so they got one skill they got to really mash if they're going to show up on here so uh you know we did do a top 10 dh list there's no doubt about that i believe uh, it was a top 10 dh list uh, i think it was yeah i'd be i'd be shocked if it wasn't we tried to do top 10 for everything um but that being said that doesn't mean that 10 dhs are going to make the top 200 top 200 is about mm. how much you can contribute how good you are you know what your skills are you know like how much you can contribute and how specifically you can contribute um so guys who were there before the year nelson cruz jd martinez jordan alvarez fran mill reyes sean carlos stanton uh jorge soler um will willie calhoun I knew he could hit. I didn't think he could hit at this level. I thought what we would see out of Willie Calhoun was something along the lines of 15% above league average to 25% above league average. So long as he's able to be above 25% above league average, he's proved me wrong. And he's absolutely deserving of a spot on the DH list. Um, and that's a guy that I would have been wrong about. Um, Yermin Mercedes, it's going to be interesting. Because Mercedes, if the if you if you don't know Mercedes and you're pitching to him, he's going to do well. If you're a lefty and you're pitching to him, he's going to do well. But righties, once they figure out his weakness, I think he's going to come back down to earth versus them. That being said, I mean it could take a full year. This is a very physical guy. You know, he, he's going to be able to beat mistakes he's going to be able to really beat mistakes. Like he's going to hit for power. He's going to walk. He's, he's a guy, you know, that being said, like Yermin Mercedes is very much the Randy Arizona of, of this season, as in like next season comes around and, you know, pitchers get better at knowing how to pitch him. He's, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad player. I think actually he's, he'll, he'll stick around a few years but I don't think he's 30% above league average at that point this year. He could do it though. Um, and I, and I do like what he's done in, in the minors. In fact, first time I noticed him was spring training of 2019. He hit a home run in, in that spring training that literally caught my eye. That's how I found out about him. And I checked the numbers and I was like, Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Wow. This guy can hit. Um, but then I looked closer and when he'd stay in the league more than a year, for some reason, the out-of-play power numbers would drop. And he'd remain walking. And the strikeout rate would, would also remain uh, workable. But his power would mainly be in-play power. And uh, I, I, you know, I watched his swing and I kind of anal analyzed it. And I realized that when he's able to square up balls, his highlights, right? He's, you know, doing everything proper with his front side and whatnot. But um, if you're watching play, him play on a regular basis, he has trouble functioning with the front side. He has trouble opening up with the front side. 
And whenever he's able to properly open up with the front side, he crushes. But it, it's an issue for him. Um, and I think that once you can exploit that issue um, at the big league level in the same way that they were able to exploit it his second time through most leagues in the minors, um, I think he, he, he's going to fall off a bit. But like I said, it could take a whole year. So I, I, I'll count it as a miss, but he's also, A, been a guy that I've been very aware of and a guy who I've liked the swing and a guy who, like, yeah, this was totally on, like, on the table as something that could happen. It's just I don't think that this guy is a guy who is, is, is you know, long-term for real. And, you know, Yerman Mercedes had about as good of a chance of doing what he's doing right now as, you know, Ty France, uh, who's a good player too. Another guy who's polished first. Uh, one of Tony Gwynn's last students plays for the Mariners right now. But um, yeah, I think that, you know, if Yerman Mercedes, if I'm wrong and Yerman Mercedes can take that next step, I'll be really happy because he's a guy who I like his physicality and I've always liked his swing. But pitchers at the minors have found a way to really go after him that doesn't allow him to open up his front hip on time and limits his ability to hit for power. So we will see, you know, hopefully he's learned something and turned a corner, but um, yeah. And, and those are our eight DHs before the season. I had six of them on my top 10. So uh, you can count two misses, six, six hits there. Um, yeah. And, and, and we have, we've covered, we've covered first. We've covered catcher, we've covered DH, mm-hmm. and we've covered short. So four positions today. So that's it's a lot. Yeah, it's a that's amount. section one of this. It's part one, mm-hmm. if you will, you know. So definitely stick around because we're going to come at you with part two. Part two is going to have second base list. Part two is going to have the third base list. We're probably going to do corner outfielders too for you. That'll be those four mm-hmm. positions. And um, I think part three will finish off with uh, center fielders, relievers, and, and the, the starting pitchers of the league. And uh, that's going to be a fun show. I might even want to just make the starting pitchers show its own show. Because, um, like, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. Right now. We could do that. That's perfect. Like, right now, like I'll tell you, on a year-to-year basis, uh, the number of elite starters that exist in the big leagues, it's always between 45 and 55. So it's a lot of players. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say for the day. So, I mean, that's really it, right? I mean, remember to, you know, hit that subscribe button. Keep on following. Remember to visit our newsletter, which is in the description of this podcast episode. And don't forget, every Thursday, we go live on YouTube. Yeah. See you there. We'll see you there.